0: We did mention Pastor Justin's out of town. He'll be back next week. But we're not lacking in any way because we have been blessed with some good guys that have got hearts that can share the word. And one of those guys, one of those men of God. No, you don't want to do that? Okay. I want... <laughs> you, do you want your dollar back? No, okay. Um, we're going to hear. We heard, from Buddy, we heard from Buddy two weeks ago, and it was really good. It was like a stand up comedian, but um, no pressure. We, we really enjoy the word that's in Buddy. And we, we honor and are grateful for the gift that's in him. Um, and we're, we're grateful for Ben last week. That was, that was great as well. But Brother Buddy, did I say that right? Would you come and share with us? Thank you. Y'all welcome. here. Yeah, definitely want my dollar back. <laughs> Good morning. How are you guys? I want to move this chair over here because I'm right-handed the way God intended people to be. <laughs> Set me up on the left. Not a. I'm going to get. Oh wait, yeah. Oh, it's not. (laughs) Let me say that real quick. I want to show everybody. My daughter walked up to me before church and handed me 110 dollars to my pleasurable dismay. And uh, it's actually fake money with gospel tracks on the back. Let me tell you something about fake gospel tracks made out of money. You're a bum for doing it. All right. I mean, what a what a rip off. My my daughter was like, Dad, I found $110. I looked to my left like Moses, and I looked to my right. (laughs) Buried the Egyptian in the sand. (laughs) Then I took it to Melvin because I was like, I'm not going to be responsible for $110. But uh, I don't know what this is. It is actually, oh, it's a free ticket to get a photograph. Oh, wait a minute. I'm just kidding. It's not. uh... So here's $110. You can drop that in the missions basket and get all the photographs you need up there after church. So, uh, all right, let's take your Bibles there if you have it with you. If not, unlock your phone and uh, turn to John, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John there. And um, I'm going to talk about something that the Lord really revealed to me a while back. It's not that he showed it to me and you don't know it. I might get into it and you're like, buddy, I've done that for 30 years, where have you been? But... Uh, Something that uh, really struck me a while back, and I'm going to throw the premise out there and we're going to kind of like, we're going to come full circle if I can stay on point. And I will stay on point because uh, Gabe has a correct clock up there now. Uh, I am the instrument of brutality that made him, forced him into getting a digital clock because those clocks with the hands on it, they can be tricky. This one right here, I have no excuses this morning, all right? But uh, what's that? It does have an alarm. Yes, it will sound like a foghorn when it's time to uh, stop. <laughs> Fortunately, I'm good at ignoring things. So, but a while back, um, the idea struck me in my mind about how incorrectly we tend to think about God, whether we mean to or not. Um, Sincerity uh, is something that we typically all have. I would imagine everybody here this morning is sincere in everything that we believe. And if we were to go around the room, there's a ton of things that we all believe that are the same. I mean, it's just a non-negotiable type of a thing if we're going to call ourselves you know, a Bible-believing Christian. like For example, uh, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Right? Amen? And, and roll tide, right? We're in the South. So we believe that. Uh, We also believe that the Bible is the Word of God, that uh, what God gave us is true. We can trust it. We believe that. Uh, You know, we believe that the, the church is the bride of Christ. All those things, we don't argue about any of that stuff. What we really get hung up in our mind about is what God's like. That's what we get hung up in. And to be quite honest with you, I don't really think we should be asking the question, what is God like? We should be asking this question. It's going to make more sense when we get into it where we should be asking the question, who is God like? Now you say, well, what in the world does that mean? I want to throw that out there, let it hang for a minute, we're going to come back. Because that idea of who is God like is where we get into issues. Because when we come out of our backgrounds, whether we had a religious or an irreligious background, we all have a preconceived idea, we all have notions about God, no matter how sincere they are. And when you come into Christianity, you still bring those with you to an extent. Uh, it's kind of like when you were a kid and you were outside playing all day. I grew up in the, the great city of St. Elmo, Alabama. We already talked about that. I actually grew up on a farm, um, and we had cows and chickens and all the whole nine yards. Uh, I never wore shoes, none of that stuff. You know, the typical sounds like a country music song all of a sudden. And uh, I would go outside and play all day. Now, I was of the generation that when you woke up, your mom fed you, she sent you outside, and that was the end of it. You didn't come back in. Amen. You ate on the porch. If you were thirsty, there was that nasty green hose that you drank out of. There's no telling how many carcinogens I've ingested from that hose. Many frogs almost got ate out of the hose. You know what I'm talking about, that little green frog that comes shooting out of the end. that guy. Uh, let's not even talk about using the bathroom, all right? We're just going to stop it there. But when I would come back inside, I uh, had to take a bath, right? You did take a bath. I mean, I can remember vividly as a child getting out of the bathtub and looking down, and there's just that dirty, nasty ring. Uh, That is the official stamp that you have played when you come inside and take a bath and there's that ring around the tub. And see, when we come into Christianity, a lot of the things that we think God is like or we think God is like this kind of a person is like that ring in a bathtub. A lot of the major stuff has been washed off of us, out of our minds, I guess I should say, Uh, from our record has removed all sin and all the righteousness of Christ has been added, but yet in our thinking in our quote-unquote theology, uh, there's still kind of a dirty ring left there sometimes. Not that that makes us wrong, it just makes the way that we think about things wrong. And, you know, so what God has to come in and He does with the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the church, people that speak, you know, all those things. He comes in and he, He delivers truth that changes not only our perception of God, but what we know of Him to be true and how we understand Him, what kind of person He's like. You see, perfect theology is not found in a, commenta- a commentary or has, is given to us by a commentator. And you know that's what a commentator is. He's just a commentator. That's it. There's nothing special about the guy. I mean, he, he, went to, he spent a lot of money to sit in a desk and somebody else tell him a bunch of things. And he spent the time writing a lot of books. You see, when we come to what theology is, here's my thought process on it. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. Theology is about a person. Theology is not about a set of beliefs. Because to be quite honest with you, a lot of the times our beliefs are evolving. Uh, What you're going to find in religious circles is they stomp their foot and they say, Bless God. I I remember when I began to change, I guess we could put it that way, a guy came to me and he said, Buddy, uh, you've changed. And the Bible says that God says, "Uh, I, I am the Lord, I change not. And I said, That's absolutely right. He goes, Well, why did you change? And I said, It's because I'm not God. All right? God's the one that stays constant. We're in a constant evolution of growth. If I can use that term, don't freak out because I said the word evolution. Babylon Bee's putting stuff up right now about what I just said. A constant evolution of growth spiritually as the Spirit of God's opening our eyes to what God has already given to us in the Word. That's just the introduction. So look at John there. And I'm going to face this way because I don't have it memorized because I'm not a pastor anymore, so I don't have to memorize the whole Bible anymore. (laughs) Verse number one, you know this verse, you've heard it a hundred times, I'm sure in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now I'm reading the New King James Version, if you need to hit the tab at the top of your phone and select versions, that's the New King James. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. Now, and the life, now notice that, the life was the light of men. You're going to notice this through your New Testament, particularly in Greek, and I'm not trying to show off when I say that. I'm just, I'm saying that I know about this much Greek. I know enough to make me dangerous, all right? In the Greek language, you're going to see those emphatic statements. Jesus Christ does not bring us life. He does not bring us a life. He brings us the life. He brings us the life that Satan lied about in the garden, that life. That's what this verse is saying. Jesus Christ is the life, and he brings us the life. It's an indefinite thing. When you think of life, you think about what Jesus, who Jesus Christ is and what he did to provide for us. That's a whole other sermon, I guess. In verse number 5, it says, In the light, and I love this, it says it shines in darkness. It didn't say it shined. It says it shines in darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. You know, and that's the problem. There are things that we just don't comprehend. And that's okay. You know, and here's, here's the reason why. If we, God's a mysterious person, isn't He? He's, to an extent, in our minds, He's mysterious. Our problems is, our problem, one of our problems is in, in churchianity, we get hung up on what's mysterious about God rather than what has been revealed about God. All right, we look and we say, why are there tsunamis? See, that's the mysterious thing of life, isn't it? And we go right past everything that we want to know and we skip right past everything that God has already told us to, we should know. Does that make sense? We look past, we look into what's mysterious. We want to know all these very intricate questions when God has said, listen, there's so much stuff that I've laid out about myself that it's going to blow your mind if you just take time to look into it. And so what does he say? He says the darkness doesn't even comprehend it. Why? Jesus showed up. What did they do to Him eventually? Well, they nailed Him to the cross, right? Skip down, if you would, down to verse number 14. Now, it's not because verse 6 through 13 is not important. It's just kind of like a parenthesis in a sentence here. In verse number 14, He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And if we didn't have that verse, we wouldn't have Christmas cards, you know. Because in our minds, that's the Christmas card verse, Right? Or the thing, please, please, listen. I'm, y'all come close. I want to I help you here. When you get ready to send out a Christmas card next year, do us all a favor and do not send out a Christmas card that says wise men still seek him. All right? It's just not clever anymore. All right? We've seen it for the last 35 years. I mean, it was like, oh, that's good. And then next year it was like, ha-ha. And then year 10 we were like, all right, we get it. All right? So, but you can still put this verse on it, okay? Verse number 15, John the Baptist bore witness of him and cried out, saying... This is he of whom I said he would come after me, who was preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one, now get this, no one has seen God at any time. Oh, but wait, buddy, what about in the Old Testament where, now listen, I understand, but the verse says right here, what does it say? Nobody's ever seen him. People have seen pieces of him, haven't they? They've seen the, the hind, the train of God. Moses did hit in the rock, right? Isaiah, in a vision, looked up into heaven and he saw the throne room, right? But he saw it in a vision. No man has ever seen God at any time. The reason why that is so important is because what's coming next in this verse? He says, The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. You know what God's uh, what the apostle John is trying to say here as the Holy Spirit's leading him along, he's saying, Listen, there are lots of people that have gotten pieces of who God is. But there's only one man that can give you a full declaration of who the Father is. Because perfect theology is Jesus. Now, here's the, here's the statement that's going to bind the whole message together, and it's this: just like Christ is Godlike, God is also Christ-like. You see, one of the things that we think when we come into the the sphere of the the Trinity, which is another thing we're trying to figure out, right? We want to look into that mysterious thing that is the Trinity, that three in one, one Father, one Son, one Spirit. Uh, We want to tear that apart when God is revealing to us who He is through the Son. So much so that as believers, we cannot understand the Father apart from the Son. And we can't understand the Son apart from the Spirit. You see, when John wrote this, I'm not even, he knew what he was saying, but maybe, and even as we read it, I don't even think I understand the total depth of what it's saying here. I mean, it's a pretty intense statement. Have you ever just read through verses a hundred times and you come back and you hit it again? You're like, holy smokes, I didn't even realize what it was actually saying here. This verse reminded me of a documentary I was watching on Netflix. All right. it's, and I actually watched it. I didn't fall asleep three-quarters of the way through. Actually, it was very boring. Somehow I hung in there. It was. This is a true story. I watched it about two years ago. It was about this tribe of people down in South Africa that these uh, these anthropologists uh, accidentally discovered that they didn't even know existed. The tribe of people in, in South America, they didn't know anyone else existed outside of the jungle. It's one of the last remaining group of tribal people that have not come into contact with the 21st century. And so they just happen to get it on video. They're down in the river there, and then come these two people out of the, out of the edge of the jungle into the forest, and they're carrying bunches of bananas. And Of course, there was a lot of miscommunication there. Uh, so the documentary goes as they begin to go back into the jungle, the anthropologists did, and they begin to uh, introduce things from the 21st century to these people, just something simply, as simple as clothes. Because they they were making their own very primitive type clothes. I mean, could you imagine living in a jungle with a, never mind. But just, and then suddenly somebody hands you a pair of Levi's, you know, or a pair of jeans or whatever it is that, whatever clothing article you like to wear in a jungle. All right. And somebody gives you a shirt. Uh, One of the guys that was ahead of it, everybody kind of resisted it in the tribe, but one or two people. One guy in particular, he just embraced it out of nowhere. Uh, so much so that he would go back with them to the river, and he got in a boat that they had with a motor on it, and he was flabbergasted that you could paddle a boat that fast. <laughs> he couldn't believe it. These white dudes are paddling a boat down the river. He, there, his, his hairs parted. He is just laughing it up. He went back into the cities with them. Uh, you also saw something like this in that uh, documentary, "The Edge of the, the End of the Spear." They also had it in that as well. Not the same group of people though. So anyway, so you have this whole group of people. And what struck me was there was only a handful of them that embraced the new reality. Just a handful. Everyone else was very stuck in the way that they used to do things, even though the way that they used to do things wasn't necessarily wrong. It just wasn't as effective and helpful. And see, if we're not careful in our our Christian walk and our Christian lives, we'll be the same way. There are certain things that are non-negotiables. We've talked about those. But who God is like needs to be ever-growing in our minds. And this is what John's really pointing out to us. And there's a, there's a couple of things. When it, let me just say this. Man, there's so much in my mind. I've got so many scribbles on my notes. There's no telling where we'll end up at. I know in the past I struggle personally. I'm, I very much like things to be in order theologically in my head. Uh, there's a whole set of books called systematic theology. They're like my favorite things to read because they're laid out in little pieces. All right, I mean it's like reading a dictionary. Nobody's going to read a dictionary for some. I wouldn't read a nor- normally. I'm not like that. It's just when theology it comes like that, I have to back away from that and say, No, wait a minute. God's not systematized. All right, God can't be put in small little boxes as we say. But God wants us to be correct. When it comes to the way we think about Him. Not because God's concerned about being right. We're the ones that are concerned about being right. Do you know that God could care less whether or not you think He's right or not? He doesn't care. Now, if you're in a marriage, you have no clue what that's like Because the other ones, both of us are always wanting to be right, correct? It's always a fight. I'm right, he's right, she's right. I'm not wrong, you're wrong. You know, and there it is. God's not concerned about being right. He's not concerned about you being Right? he's concerned about you being whole. Yes. And for you and I to be whole, we have to understand who he is, what he's given us, who Jesus Christ is, who Jesus Christ is to us, who the Father is, what the Father's like. So, when Jesus Christ hits the scene, let me say this. I got to say this. It just it, it gets me because I'm I'm talking to you about me right here in a couple of these things, all right? So just hang on. We're so hung up on what we believe we are so hung up on it. We think if we put our stamp of approval on it and we believe it, you know, there's thus saith the Lord. I mean, even in Second Corinthians, Paul came along and said, listen, this is not me, this is not God, this is just me talking and here's my advice. But we get that cart before the horse, don't we? We get so used to believing a certain thing. Now, I'm not saying put a question mark on everything you believe. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is this, is when God confronts us with truth from the Scriptures... And he puts a question mark on what we believe. How willing are we to adapt a new reality about who the Father really is? So what does Jesus show us about that reality? The first thing is this. is because of Jesus, we learn about God, that God is relatable. Now, there's one thing about religion that, will tell, that they will tell you about God, and that's this. He's relatable, but he's only relatable based on your behaviors. You see what I'm saying? Now, you came to church this morning. You got up. You may have shaved. If you're fortunate enough like me, you don't have to bother with that. It's great. You should try it. All right? It is great. I'm telling you. It just cuts down my getting ready time. It goes from five minutes to three minutes. It's great. Because I just keep all my clothes in the dryer and just turn it on and off as I need them ironed. That's how you do that, all right? Put a dryer sheet in there. Boom. You're done. Anyways, I'm digressing. You got up, you came to church, you smelled decent enough, like Andrew said, it's the first part of the day. We'll check back with you at 3, all right? You got your Bible in hand, you got your app in hand, or whatever the case may be. You may have prayed for you got here. You may have thrown something in the offering. Religion tells you that all that affects your relatability to God. Don't even get into what you do when the doors are closed at your house because that's really where the hammer drops then, right. We really don't struggle with the things like doing things openly. We struggle with what we know goes on that nobody else knows that goes on. Those are the things that we think God says, I'm not relatable with you because of those things. But Jesus tells us this, and the reason why I say he's relatable, in verse number 14, it says, When the Word became flesh, notice that it said that the Word dwelt among us. Now we know the Word dwells in us, Because of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, the New Testament doesn't start right here. We say open your New Testaments too. This part of what we're reading right now is not New Testament. It's that interlinear period before uh, Jesus actually died, technically. The New Testament doesn't start until Jesus said it's finished. That's when the New Testament begins. Because without the shedding of blood, there can be no Testament, right? Right? And so, what does John say? John says, listen, the word came down and it dwelt among us. Because of the new covenant, we know the word dwells in us. One thing that we see over and over again from Jesus that tells us about the Father is this. Is that Jesus spent all his time with people. That's what he did. So much so that he didn't even have a house. Remember some people came up to Jesus and said, show us where you live. And Jesus said, well... You know, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. He goes, me? I don't even have anywhere to lay down, really. I don't even have a bed. Why? Because he was busy spending his time with people. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go sell your house and uh, do all those things if you want to. If you make a profit off of it, always remember to tithe, right? Ten percent down with the, the calculator because God has a holy... What is that thing called? You slide the little abacus. Yeah, he's got a holy abacus in heaven. He's like, tick, 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 tick. That's not ten percent. Boop, slides another bean over. Then you're right with God. You know. (laughs) You see, most of the time, we have an idea about who God is. And Dan and I were talking about this the other day. We have an idea about who God is based on the culture around us. We do. We're in southern Alabama. God likes roll tide football. Well, that too. You know, depends. It just depends. You know, you know. God drives a Ford F one hundred and fifty. Yes, See, there again. See, we can't even agree in church over these things. We all agree it's not a Dodge. <laughs> um. You know, God's re- in America. God is Republican. I don't know if you guys realize this. I mean, that's, that's the, that is, as the one song that I've listened to since my youth, that is the American Jesus. We see his signs on the interstate, right? We see the billboards. We even got images of him. I wasn't aware that Jesus was a very malnourished white European male. I wasn't aware of that. But according to the paintings and the pictures, he is, right? Why? Because we have a caricature of who Jesus is and who the Father is. And when we come to the Word of God, we, we read into it. I did it. When I first got saved and I read the Word of God, I just assumed God was like certain things. And then you add in a, a religious background to that, and you'll come up to all kinds of twisted theories. And so Jesus was someone that dwelt among people. He became flesh. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 47, the first man was of the earth, speaking of Adam. The second man, speaking of Jesus, is the Lord from heaven. Jesus said something, well he said a lot of interesting, <laughs> I say that sometimes like Jesus said something interesting one time. Uh, he said interesting things all the time. One of them was that, and I think it's in John 6, where Jesus said, I and the Father are one, you remember that? And the Jews picked up stones to stone him to death. And Jesus said, for what good work do you stone me for? And he said, for a good work we stone you not, but because you make yourself equal with God. You see, in religious circles, we even overlook that. We overlook what Jesus was actually saying. Jesus was saying, hey guys, I'm God. If you want to know what that father is like, you look at me. What did he say in John chapter number 14? Thomas said, Lord, if you'll just show us the Father, that'll be good enough. And, I, and look, you know, Jesus, when he talked, he spoke like he was on NPR radio. You understand that, right? I think he was a little tongue-in-cheek quite a bit. If you read through the New Testament, you can kind of see, you see that often. I think when Thomas said that, he probably went, Thomas, have I not been so long with you, man? And you want to look at me right now and say, show us the Father. What? Hole in the ground have you had your head in, all right? I mean, remember the dead, the dead guy that I stopped the whole funeral? Were you there for that one? You know, you remember all those things, right? Remember when I shut the Pharisees down? You know, God's not a braggart, so he's not going to do that. But I could just see him saying, man, I have been right here with you the whole time. Now, I have to be careful not to throw Thomas under the bus because I probably would have done that. I'm a professional pessimist, all right? I'm good at what I do. Uh, somebody's got to be good at it, and uh, you know what a pessimist is. Did I tell you this last time I spoke? If I did not, blesses a congregation that enjoys it twice. All right. A pessimist is an optimist with life experience. All right. That's it. That's all we are. All right. That's all we are. All right. I better stop and throw myself under the bus too much here. Jesus. Well, let me read this verse. First John chapter one. That's is first John chapter one. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, we have handled with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. "...that which we have seen and heard we declare unto you." Can you see how emphatic he's being? He says, listen, we've seen it, we've heard it, we've seen it, we've heard it, we've seen it, we've heard it. The life, the life of God, why are you doing that to the light? Who's doing that to the lights? All right. Just stop. That's the alarm. Yeah, they're, they're like, okay, shut up now. All right. So he's saying, we've seen the word, we've, we've, we've touched the word of God, we've handled him, we've, we've, we've seen him, we've heard what he had to say. Now notice what he says. We declare this to you, and what reason? That you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You know what? Jesus came for this reason, so you and I can have fellowship with deity. That's why He came. Now you say, Pastor or Mr. Buddy, whatever you want to call me, I don't care. You mean to tell me I came to church and sit in this chair pew slash thing for you to look at me and say Jesus came that we might have fellowship with God. I could have stayed at home and watched TV and heard that. But the question here is this. If that's the case, if that's true and you and I know it, what are those things about us that keep us from having fellowship with the Father then? We live with them on a daily basis, don't we? They're that little tiny judge with a gavel in our minds, right? That every time you say to yourself, well, I'm going to read my Bible today, the judge slams down the gavel, clack. Well, remember what happened yesterday, right? We all have that little guy living in our head. We call it our conscience when it's, it could be our conscience. If you have Jiminy Cricket Christianity, which is let your conscience be your guide, uh, you're going to have a very, very tormented walk with God because your conscience can be completely messed up. It can be set way too high, or it can be set way too low. Uh, I live with a conscience set so high for a lot of my Christian life, I couldn't even enjoy a like a, a cartoon movie. I mean, my poor oldest daughter, Olivia, she, she missed out on so much of popular culture when she was a kid, you know. Not because she was offended by things, don't look at me like that. And, uh, because we just restricted everything because the conscience is set too high, because the fellowship was paramount, and because when, re- when you get involved in, in religiosity and churchianity rather than Christianity, everything is about you. It's about your dedication, it's about your commitment. Like Ben said, we have the altar up here that you come and You come to an old-fashioned altar because it's got to be old-fashioned, all right? It's got to have the original recipe like Colonel Sanders' fried chicken or something. you got to come to the old-fashioned altar. And you got to do business with God. You know, what a way to live. I do business with the people that prepare my taxes, all right? But I don't have a close fellowship with them, all right? Jesus came that you can have fellowship despite... Everything about you that you know is wrong behaviorally. Now, when I, if, if, if there is a religionist listening to the podcast right now, his head just exploded. <laughs> the reason why I know, because if I would have heard that eight years ago, my head would have exploded. I can't believe you'd minimize sin. Listen, the, the bloodied, cruciform Christ does not minimize sin. A tomb with a dead body in it for three days does not minimize sin. It took sin to its maximum position and killed it. It looked death straight in the eyes and knocked its lights out. And when Jesus came out of that tomb... It still wasn't over. Did you know that? It still wasn't. It still, there was still more he was going to do for us. He took care of the sin. Then he said, listen, guys, I'm going to go ahead and go back to heaven. But don't worry. It's a good thing because when I do, I'm going to send the comforter to you. And then as they were huddled up, fearful, that 120 of the first Baptist church of Jerusalem, as they were shoved in the upper room there, and they were praying, or the first holiest Pentecostal, Church, of the first living, you know, risen Savior of God and Christ Jesus. I see some church signs and I'm like, that church sign costs $10,000 just to get the name on it. (laughs) So as they're all in the upper room and they're praying there, whatever they call themselves, the Holy Spirit of God falls. Boom. Jesus had told them about it multiple times, still caught off guard. You ever done that to you? He told you about a truth a hundred times and you still got caught off guard by it. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Son of God is now inside human beings. Amen. You see, Isaiah and all, these older, all the prophets of old, and Eve going back to Moses, all those guys. One of my favorite verses used to be Isaiah chapter 6. I don't know if you're familiar with that. You know, it talks about when uh, King Uzziah died. He says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and had the angels, two wings flying back and forth. They cried, holy, 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 night and day. And it says when he saw that, what did it say? It says when he saw that, he covered his face, and he goes, I'm an unclean man. I have unclean lips. God takes the coal, and he touches his lips, and he says, go and preach this. You know the the whole verse, all, all the verses. You see, Isaiah saw that in a vision. He looked into the holy place of God. But what happened when Jesus Christ died? The holy place of God was not only was it exposed in a temple, but it was also relocated, wasn't it? The holy place of God is you. You see, God came, or Christ came revealing the Father so you and the Father could have fellowship. You see, the fellowship you have with the Father is not based on how awesome you are, it's based on how awesome Christ is. And so we see that Jesus is a God of fellowship, and I'm not even a third of the way through, so, oh well. I knew this was going to happen. You know, you were made to be known. You were made to be known. That's why the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, so you can know God, and God can know you in a real way, if I can put it like that. Not that He doesn't, anyways. Again, you're starting to pick the theological things apart. I get it. I'll redact that statement later, all right? You're made to be known. Dan and I were talking about this. The only reason Dan and I were talking about so much is not because I actually like Dan, because I don't. (laughs) But uh, it's because we were moving some stuff the other day, so I figured I might as well talk to him while I was there. And uh, it's awkward when you don't talk for four hours. You know, it's weird. And no, we were talking about this on the phone. He called me. I didn't call him. And. uh, It dawned on me the other day, I was listening to, listening to a sermon. I'm just jumping around my whole message, but you guys don't care. If you're used to Justin, you can handle that, right? <laughs> I hope you heard that, Justin. <laughs> remember, when, You remember Adam and Eve, bam, we all know that story, right? Adam and Eve sins. What's the first thing after their eyes were opened, what did they do? They covered themselves. Now, here says buddy and not the Lord, so you take it for what it's worth, all right? I'm, I'm sticking pretty tight with it right now, all right? When Adam and Eve covered themselves, they weren't hiding from God. Did you know that? They hid from God later. Remember, God showed up, and they then they hid themselves. Right? I'm of the opinion that when they hid them, when they covered themselves, they were hiding from each other. They looked at each other. Adam looked at Eve and said, "You ain't got no clothes on." (laughs) Eve looked at Adam and said, "Gross!" You know. And what did they do? They ran and they they covered themselves. Why? Because Satan had promised them something. He had given them a lie, right? And the minute that they believed the lie, their eyes were opened and they realized that what they bought into wasn't what they were told. And what did they do? They were self-conscious, self-sufficient, fearful, ashamed, and get this, they put on a mask. That was the first thing they did was cover themselves up in front of other people. Now, I hold that thought, and I want you to look with me right down here. Let's see. It's in verse number, verse number 17. It says, For the law was given through Moses. And even in that moment, Adam was feeling, and Eve were feeling the effect of the law. They had one law, didn't they? What was, I mean, they had, like you look at your kids, and you're like, you had, I gave you one thing to do, right? Adam and Eve had a law, even in the garden, didn't they? And what was it? Don't eat the tree, Right? So it says here, all the 360 commands of the law came through Moses. And notice that it says, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, we have often talk about grace and truth like grace is just this br- brutal thing, you know, just that just throat punches you, knocks you smooth out. Now, to an extent, it is. When you come to Christ, there's a negative and a positive of the gospel. The negative of the gospel is that who we have been, Is not sufficient, but Christ has done everything to make us sufficient. That's the positive. That's the pillow to the punch. All right? You can't have one without the other. It's just the way the gospel is. After we come to Christ, what he's basically wanting us to see here, I kind of lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened there. Maybe I wasn't supposed to say any of that. I don't know. But tr- truth is this brutal thing. Let me just back this train up. Truth is this brutal thing and that grace is this thing that just ignores everything that's true. Now, I'm not saying that's true. I'm saying that's the way that it's seen. It's seen that grace is just this thing that's just like, you know, it's out just sprinkling like marshmallows and cotton candy and candy canes and bubble gum and nobody cares and woohoo! let's all high-five. And it's not true. Grace doesn't overlook sin. Grace defeats sin. Here's the thing. When it comes to when Jesus Christ brought grace and truth, what did he did is he exposed everything that was wrong and took care of it by his grace. You know why? Now back to Adam and Eve. You know why that's so important? It's because not only do we tend to put fig leaves on with, with each other, we tend to put them on with God. And we try to say, God, I know that this and this and this. And we try to pretend. You know what? You know what Jesus, because Jesus is relatable, you don't have to pretend. You just don't. I pretended for years with the best of sincerity in my heart. Because, I want, because God, everything about the gospel was codependent on how good I was. All right? I don't know if you've ever realized that. But that's what religion puts on you. I mean, heaven forbid if you smash your finger and you quote anything but John 3.16, <laughs> Christianity is going to fall apart. Church buildings will crumble in, you know. And we get real self-righteous about it. But by the way, uh, people that, uh, that operate by the flesh or an unsaved person that lives in sin, they're very self-righteous too. You ever heard anybody say something like this? They walk into the church they're like, I'm afraid the roof's going to fall down on me. Really. Like everything about the power of God and the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to come crashing down because you're in a building. You see the misconceptions? Because of the gospel, there's no fig leaves necessary. We don't have to put on a mask with each other anymore, than we have to put on a mask with God. Jesus Christ is relatable one way or the other. I've got seven minutes, and that was some pretty good math just from looking up there. I have to say I'm impressed with myself. Let's finish up with this. Down in uh, verse number, let's see here, verse number 18. Nope, that's not the one I want to look at. I didn't write it down. Oh, well. It says in that verse somewhere, if you can find it, holler out what verse number it is. It says, and we beheld his glory. That one right there. That's the one I'm going for, right? We beheld his glory. Now, what is it that they beheld about the glory of God or when Jesus was on the earth? What was it they beheld? You ever thought about that? Was it the miracles? I don't think it was. Um, I don't think it, though it was a very a glorious thing, but I don't think that's what he's necessarily pointing at. What I think John's pointing at here is this when he talks about the glory of God and how they beheld it, they beheld for the first time how man originally intended, or how God originally intended man to fellowship with the Father. You know, we talk about bringing glory to God in churches a lot, don't we? I know from my side of churchianity, it usually involved the building, all right? Glory to God, we can seat 250 people up in here, glory to God. Every time I hear somebody say, amen, and glory to God like that, I always think roll tide. I don't know why, I just do. <laughs> and uh, we, usually, we usually think it has something to do with the building, don't we? We usually think it has something to do with amounts of people, right? Uh, we usually think it has something to do with a quantity uh, of money that was given somewhere, You know what I think what glorifies God most is when you and I live in His glory, which is us living in our sonship before Him. Just by default, we'll bring glory to God and not even realize it. You know, it it is amazingly burdensome to feel like it's your and my job to make sure that we do it all right so God's glorified. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all you that are labor and are heavy laden. And what did he say? He, yeah, he didn't say, I'll give you another job. He didn't say, come to me and uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll lower you down the totem pole so you can have responsibility nobody pays attention to. I used to think of it that way. And I remember was reading that one morning in the basement of my house. And where I lived, you could have basements. Around here, if you have a basement, it's usually half swimming pool, half basement, right? And I was in my basement reading, and I read that verse, and the Holy Spirit of God said to me, is that how you would define your Christian life? Would you define it by peace and rest? You know what my answer had to be? No. You know why? Because I thought it all hinged on me. And we live our lives like everything about Christianity is about us when it is all about Christ and the sonship that he's given us. If we'll live from the sonship, all those details that we tend to stress out about are going to fall into place just naturally. In uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 15, it says this about Jesus Christ. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The word image there gives the idea of an exact likeness. It's kind of like a tap-and-die set. I don't know if you've ever used one of those. Uh, some of you have. You know, you've used one, I bet. And uh, the only way we, Eric and I use them at work is we just stamp numbers in the back of keys. I mean, that's how car hardcore machinists we are, you know what I mean? It's like 116, boom, look at me, you know. So we just use those, and we stamp numbers in keys most of the time, unless we're playing around with something and trying to break it, and then we'll hit it with another hand. Anyways, so it stamps the exact image into that metal, And that's exactly what that word image means here in uh, Colossians chapter number 1. It means that when you looked at Jesus Christ, it's like God took a tap and die set and went, boom, that's what I'm like. Now, I know some of you are thinking this, but what about in the Old Testament? Right? What about the Old Testament? Do you realize that everything everybody did in the Old Testament and they said God told me to, doesn't mean that God told them to? We do it all the time, right? God told me to go to KFC. You know, God told me to come up. I've had people come up to me and tell me things that I was supposed to do that if I would have done them, my life would have been a train wreck. Just because people say God told me doesn't mean that's what God told them to do. There's an interesting another interesting verse over in Hebrews. Let me see if I can find it. We're just going to skip right here to the end. Hebrews chapter number 1. Hebrews 1 is verses 1 through 3. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke and passed to the fathers by the prophets. Alright, so we got that. Old school way, God speaks to prophet, prophet speaks to you. It says, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the bright, I get this, who being the brightness of his glory... All right, I don't even have time to unpack that. Who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged, I love that phrase, man. Just little phrases like that catch my attention. When he had by himself purged our sins. Jesus does not need a personal assistant when it comes to your sins. He's got the, he had them, he has them taken care of on his own. He didn't ask for anybody's help. And then you know what it says? It says, after he had taken care of it all by himself, it says he sat down at the right hand of God in the majesty on high. You know why he sat down? Because the work was done. You know, you go back in the Old Testament, you look in the temple, you got the table of showbread, you got the altar, you got the candlesticks, you got all those those things. You know what you don't have? A chair. Because the Old Testament priest, his work was never done. When he went into the temple, it was to work. It was to th- make sacrifice. It was to burn incense. It was to do something to take care of the people's sin. But when Jesus, when he had by himself purged our sins, he walked into the heavenlies, and what did he do? He sat down because it was done. Yes. Up in this verse right before that, it says that he, this person that sat down having finished your sin, it says right, it says right here, that he is the expressed image of, Of his person. Now, this word image and the other word aren't the same in the Greek language. The only reason I'm bringing that up is not to be fancy, but because it does help us understand what's going on here. This word here, if you look at it in the Greek language, you would see an English word. It's the word character. The only difference is, is, it's the second C is spelled with a K, all right? It is the character. Now, when we say somebody, when we say that person has the character of another person, what are we saying? We're saying that who the one person is has been etched on the personality of another person. That when we look at that one, now if I were to bring my dad in here this morning and stand him right here, uh, you, you would see us physically, we look quite a bit alike. And then if I were to bring my brother in here, man, we look even more alike. And boy, it really worked out for him, all right? But uh, we, all three of us would look alike because in a DNA fashion, it has been etched on who we are. And when you look and when you and I behold who Jesus Christ is in the Spirit, as well as in the Scriptures, we are seeing the very character of God. You see, that's why I say at the onset, the question is not, the question should be, who is God like? God is like Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Now, it gets even more intense because what did Jesus say in John 14? We all know John 14:6. It's like the close cousin of John 3:16, right? What did Jesus say? He says, "I am the way, the truth and the life." You get this, no man comes of the Father but by me. Now for an unsaved person if you're hearing you don't know Christ, understand that that is the most emphatic, dogmatic thing that any person in flesh has said and was able to back up. You see, it's one of those instances where if either Jesus Christ was telling the truth or he was a lunatic, because of the death and resurrection, we know that he was telling the truth. Jesus is saying this, I am the singular, only possible way that anybody has any access to the Father. If you're unsaved, understand this, I don't care how bad you've been because I know how good Jesus has been. And he's willing to take what he's done and give it to you for free. Amen. I know that's kind of tough because you've got to lose some control for that. We're used to being in control, aren't we? Now, for the believer, you know why that verse is so important? Because nobody comes to the Father but by who? By him. You need to stop trying to come to the Father based on what you do. Amen. Whether it's giving or going or trying to grow. Hey, there's a sermon outline right there. Three G's. You write that down. in lines. <laughs> or whether it's trying to be good. Oh, there's another G. Bam. Man, I'm killing it up here. With these, these alliterated sermon outlines. In your mind, hopefully not everybody's, but if it's happened, in your mind, if the devil has inserted some sort of lie that says you fellowship with Christ based on this, or God is like this, I hope this morning, just from these few verses that we've looked at, the Holy Spirit of God said, there's that thing. You see, God's not a poet. I wrote this down the other day. I was listening to a sermon online at work. God, I was working too, I promise. I was, when you're the boss, you have to go do paperwork in your office, right, Eric? You understand how this works. When I say I have office work to do, that means I'm on YouTube. I'm just kidding. But I was uh, listening to a sermon on YouTube. I think it was from Tim, the sermon was by Tim Keller. And he said, God is not, we, we feel like God is opposed to us. Like we live like he's in opposition to us sometimes. And he makes this comment that God's not in opposition to you. He's in opposition to every lie that tries to define you. Amen. You see, and we hold on to those pretty tight because we're used to them, right? For, for the first time, maybe in your mind, God's calling you to, like, as we talked about, the step out of the jungle, you know what I mean? we have to ask ourselves this, the question that the uh, very famous theologians from the early 80s, ACDC, asked us (laughs) from that critically acclaimed classic movie, Maximum Overdrive. We have to ask ourselves this question, who made who, right? Who made who? Did God make you or who made who? Who turned the screw, right? You see, what God's trying to do is he's trying to tell us, he's saying, listen, I made you. I know who I am, and I know who you are. So let me take away all those things that are causing you to think that fellowship and understanding me has something to do with you when it has something to do with what I've already done. All right? Let's have a word of prayer, all right? Father, we love you this morning, and uh, we're thankful for your goodness. Uh, We're thankful for the fact that you are Christ-like. And so when we see the Son of God, we see the Father, and when we see the Father, we see the Son. Uh, We're thankful that the Holy Spirit of God illuminates Uh, our hearts and minds based on the truth. And uh, we know that you're going to do that because you've said you would. And uh, we know that a lie only has the power that we allow it to have when we're confronted with the truth. Uh, So if the Holy Spirit of God uh, spoke to our hearts and our minds about where we may be uh, with certain struggles about who you are, or actually uh, what you're like, who you're like, we pray that uh, as a result of just looking at the scripture this morning... Uh, the Spirit of God would get victory in that area. And uh, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.